rdtdaily.com presents a Tara Buster with comedian Tara Devlin. Blurry. Hello, everyone. My name is Tara Devlin. What the hell is going on? Is this the right camera? This fucking show sucks. I don't know why you like to watch it. Yeah. All right. I'm back. I, I don't know. For those who missed the first part, you didn't miss much. I tried to start the show at 6 o'clock as usual. Had some technical problems. Couldn't. I mean, I spent hours fucking with the technical shit. And um, it wasn't working. The, and then we had this horrible feedback loop that could have killed killed us, really. I think we were... It might have been some Republican gremlins trying to murder us. And I have been reaching out to the technical effing bastards at loopback i don't know whatever i'm gonna have to get this fucking fixed because i need it i need to fix it because um i have there's many things on the horizon that need to i need to use that loop um i need loopback to to do that underlying music bed so I know when to cut the show that's going to happen on Progressive Voices because I have to clip it up <sighs> for, two, for anyway, whatever. Who cares, right? No, Nobody's watching the show for this. Nobody's watching the show. Not that you're nobody. You're, you are somebody. But it is frustrating. Oh, thank you, Jim. Another super chat. He already gave me a super chat. You don't have to do that again. And, um, yeah, I did it in the, in the earlier show, but I'm, uh, I was this close to shutting down for good. I get that way sometimes. This has been a particularly tough week. I start having an existential crisis. What is the point? This place is beyond repair. I have to be insane to continue to put myself in the line of fire out here and for not, for nothing. Everybody wants, they they all want a corporate state, it seems like. Well, well they're winning. Maybe I should. Uh-oh, here comes fucking trouble over here. Hello. <laughs> Come on, what are you doing? Sit down. The cat's here. You're a good boy. I know you are. And so, let's see. Let's look at the cat and not me. This is Tara Jr. Jr. Thank you, Mark. You're the only reason I'm, I'm starting the show again. Not the only. The rest of you guys. I saw you posting on Disc Discord and and on YouTube. And I felt guilty because I wanted to walk away. And then it, all right, you say the cat, he can't, he can't even decide whether he wants to be on my lap or not. And I think, uh, sometimes I just get, I'm only human. We're all human. That's the problem. I get like, what's the point? I'll tell you what happened this week. I figured I might as well just be honest too. Oh, and thank you, Greg. For your super chat. That's part of the reason I guess people like the show. They see me kind of struggling with life. Melting down. Hanging by a thread. 
doing it anyway. You know what I mean? That's the way life is sometimes. You do it anyway. Even though you're hanging by a thread, you act as if. So this week, I'm very frustrated in general just about the show. I have high hopes for the show. I do think I see other people's shows. I'm like, how the fuck did they get like, you know, 10,000 um, patrons? You know what I mean? And we're at 50 patrons and that was getting 50 is is hard. And I want to I would like to get more patrons because we want to do the show every day. And it's frustrating. And then I and I often rail about how it is frustrating because I I know what goes on on the other side. And I have been in communications my entire life. It's what I like to do. Even when I was young, besides heroin, I like to make TV shows. (laughs) You know, I was an early adopter of the opioid epidemic. But one day at a time, just for today... I'm clean and sober for double digits, and I'm very grateful. But everything is, you know, we all have a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of a spiritual condition. I understand that. So, uh, thankfully, I'm not, nobody's cured. I'm not cured or anything. So, but I, but I, I enjoyed, even when I was young, we, we would make TV shows. My friends and I would make, shows while other kids I don't know what they were doing but besides drugs I mean I did drugs and I made tv shows and that's how I got into television which is what I do and I do um in my other life besides being a comedian and doing this show I do um graphics for television I work as a motion designer uh I mean it's really that was the job I have because I, because, well, I was always artistically inclined. And then when I would make TV shows, my friends and I, we always goofing around making TV shows. And um, other uh, people, not just my own shows, they would say, hey, can you do your can you do my graphics? Can you do my, my open for the show? I just had a knack for it. And I enjoyed it. So that's, I ended up doing this for a living. And I, I really enjoy it. I, I find it, it's more, it's always about storytelling and it's always about connecting with people. I, but I always wanted to be a comedian too. But I, that thing, because of my addiction and my low self esteem, and, uh, you know, my thinking, I would never live to see age 30, frankly. I really, first I didn't think I would live to see 25, but then I got to be 25 and I was like, okay, maybe 30. But I, um, the, I never thought I could get in front of people and talk. You know what I mean? That was a, I, I, I know I say you know what I mean a lot. I'm sorry, too. Okay. It's one of those verbal ticks. And I, so uh, when I got clean and sober, I, a part of getting clean and sober, I'm moving the fan over, 
is uh, you get up and you talk in front of people, which was one of the hardest things. I remember the first time I went into a meeting, one of the first times, and I saw all the balloons. There was a bunch of balloons and things, and uh, I said, what's going on here? And somebody said, oh, this so-and-so is celebrating a year of being clean and sober. And I was like, oh, if I stay clean, I have to speak, I said. And they said, yeah, you know, you have your celebration. And I walked out of the meeting and I got high that night because I couldn't imagine getting up in front of people and speaking. So to be here now speaking with you and having a show and not, I don't feel nervous about it or even getting up in front of strangers and making them laugh having uh you know i've had some pretty good gigs in comedy not i mean i'm not a famous comedian i'm not anything like that but i've had some success in um opening up for kate clinton these are my the highlights right opening for jessica kirsten i opened for judy gold at gotham comedy club i Worked at uh, Caroline's Comedy Club in New York, you know. But I also, um, you know, that's, that is a miracle in itself. That comes from recovery. That is the miracle of being in, uh, of one, of, you know, being sober really is. I wouldn't have had anything like that. Because that's what it was. At first, what my first um, thing, when I first got clean, I mean, getting one day was that was the impossible dream. Do you know what I mean? I know I said it again. I'm sorry. And then when after getting more days, right, and days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months and months turn into years and you realize that, oh, it's not, I can, not only can I do this, you know, I'm going to, if I'm going to have a life, I can also do other things, other follow my dreams. And on top of, uh, of, you know, everything, always having, just seeing the world. Partly, I think my, the pain of life was, is so painful sometimes because of the injustice that's all around. And I feel it. I feel it, it myself. I see things that uh, I see, you know, hear stories. It doesn't, uh, I don't know. I put myself in everybody's shoes. Like I hear the story about this woman who was shot dead in her house, cops coming, no knock warrant, murdered in her own fucking house. And I, I get enraged. And this is why... No, I think I, why I know this is important. It is having a platform and it's not about me as much as it's about the ideas and that hope to become a, a thought, a thought uh, virus, so to speak, that we liberals that justice truth justice in the american way what is that redefining what it means to be a patriot 
what it means to be an American. It has to. We will not win without having this message be ubiquitous. As the right wing understands this, this is the problem. They understand that they need they need media. That's why they have they have owned it. They infiltrate it, and they elevate all their voices, including small voices on YouTube and Facebook. They get, have given Tommy Lauren a claim. You know, they have elevated and amplified her platform. Tommy Lauren, these morons. Freaking diamond and silk. Anybody who is an agent of the oligarchy will get a seat at the table. And I mean, I complain all the time about about this. And Breitbart, we talk about them because that's really the, one of the glaring examples of what they've done. The right wing billionaire Mercer family gave Andrew Breitbart six million dollars after he had started his his um, you know. His fucking stupid propaganda rag, Breitbart, written by a hack, a, a, an untreated alcoholic, an untreated active alcoholic, Andrew Breitbart, a scumbag. And, you know, he happily took it. And they have a townhouse now in Washington, D.C., with a whole staff and tentacles in the White House. Right? What do we have? This fucking shit that goes on. This ECAM bullshit. Feedback loops. And me saying, please become a patron. Please become... You know what I mean? While the entire... The big monsters are... are. It's like... It truly is like David and Goliath over here. And it's frustrating that liberals don't... I don't know. Help each other even more so we have each other i hope that this platform continues and grows but let me i'll tell you what happened what really got me um down this week was i don't know it's we'll see what happens but i called my representative alexandria arcasio cortez she does this thing every week called um, conversation and coffee with AOC or something. Well, I don't know, whatever. And I, I called on the show. I didn't say, hey, you know, come on my show. But I called as a constituent and I wanted to talk to her and I, I, I should probably play the video. And I got through. I was the first caller on this new thing. And it was, um, and I told her what it, some, one of my biggest frustrations with progressivism is that we don't frame our our f initiatives, our fights, as the patriotic imperatives that they are. As that's how we're going to win. We are the patriots. I mean, this whole thing, this thing, this America thingy is a patriotic initiative. I mean, a, a progressive initiative. So when... We And we have to reclaim that mantle as such. So when you're talking about Medicare for all, it's not just a nice thing to do or even a fiscally responsible thing to do. 
it is a patriotic imperative. We don't leave anybody behind. It's American. It's as American as as uh, Social Security. It's, um, you know, when I was in the National Guard, one of my fond memories, I think about this sometimes, and it was uh, we we drilled these things. One of one of our drills was leaving no one behind, and you had to carry somebody on your back, somebody who was your own weight, and you had to carry them to from where they were. They couldn't help you. They they had to be dead weight, and you had to carry them. And I had, because I'm six feet tall, those of you don't know, who never met me in person, um, yes, I am six feet tall, and, yeah, I carried a guy on my back, and uh, he was, you know, you fireman carry them, you have to, there's a way you can carry them, you put their legs in there, you know, they're kind of like wrapped around your shoulder, not like, um, you know, and they're like, you're, they're like big lug of whatever around just dead weight on your shoulders but it's your po- it's possible to carry them and even if someone who's you know your own weight or more and he uh i remember him yelling or or just in my ear saying you could do it devlin you can do it and cuz it was hard you got this devlin you got this you're almost there you're halfway there you're almost there you got it and I'm tearing up thinking about it because that's, that is America. Right there. Hold on. Leaving no one behind. Cheering each other on. Right? Ah, oh, look, I'm getting misty. Uh-oh. Where's my emotional support cat? So, anyway, yeah. So, when, you know, it's, I often think about, you know, actually, I'm, I walk around with a knot in my stomach. And this is what that knot is, you know, it's not anger. It's sadness. Tara Jr., get in here. <laughs> Where's my Tara Jr., Jr.? So, yeah, it is. It's really, you feel it. I feel like I'm in therapy right now. But that's what it is. I always, I have, I've had enough therapy to know that anger is, that's what that is. And so is depression. Depression is anger turned on yourself. So that's why, Action is the best remedy 
for anger when you feel well depression i mean is the best remedy because you feel powerless you feel like it's not gonna matter but you you take action anyway you know and so as far as this uh show i feel yeah it is frustrating that we're not we're not getting as much support as i think is necessary because um you know of everything but that's because what we're up against so i need to take my own advice and not give up like when i see the uh these trump anzies what what's so depressing is watching the reaction of of our react this the united states our reaction to the pandemic as opposed to in comparison to the rest of the world nowhere else are you are you seeing such fucking dysfunction than here in the united states this country that was built on the idea of happiness it is that's what makes it such a radical idea this is a radical progressive initiative we're not built on bloodlines we're built on uh, the idea that we are in this together for the pursuit of happiness and that means that we have an obligation to each other when the founders pledge their lives fortunes and sacred honor to each other there's nothing more progressive than that there's nothing more socialist than that and uh, the, what they have done they need the right wings the right wingers need to have their message out there just seeping out there in the body politic like a virus to sicken the body to sicken and kill the body because metaphorically they will kill i mean they'll kill literally too but they want to kill this idea that we're in this together e pluribus unum they hate that idea i don't know i could get into them psychologically i can tell you it's fear and they uh you know greed too it's always been about that and they have always and what i say right that it takes a level of maturity to function in a free democratic society it also it takes an emotional maturity in order to um you know to not want to uh pine for a big daddy to trickle on you so i'm wondering one thing right now when you guys are typing are you uh when you're on the chat 
Can you hear that little click, click mu- noise? If it's going out over the air, I, I mean, I'm not going to start fucking around with it. But that's what I'm wondering if if that is being heard. You can hear it going click, click, click every time somebody posts something. It's kind of annoying. I don't know why. Why it is do say of course because I had to reinstall everything. Let's see. Here we go. Maybe that stopped it. Okay. Yeah. Pop pop because it'll be annoying for people on the chat. Not on the chat. On the podcast. I think I. I think I fixed it. All right. All right. Now that I had my meltdown. And cried on the air. That's good. It'll, it's not the first time and it won't be the last. <laughs> That's for sure. Holy shit. But, and it made me cry, actually. I've been very weepy. Too, because our new friend Mark, who found us, thankfully, he's a young man, 18 year old young man who got to vote the first time this election and uh he you know i think about the world that he's been born into and what a shit show and but he gives me hope honestly young people like that we need a we need a billion more of you of people like mark and he left me a very nice message. I would like, I don't know, should I play it? It was kind of, let's see. I'll play it. Let's see. Hopefully you can hear it. Hey, Sarah. This is Mark M., uh, the first-time listener and caller from your last episode. Um, and I had wanted uh, to say something to you and just a small story in case this makes it on air. Um, but first of all, I'd like to say that I'm really happy that I found your channel and it's been really therapeutic over the past few days, uh, to be able to turn on someone in my downtime who actually says what I've been thinking and what I've been wanting to say all week. And it's nice to know that somebody else has actually thought of all these crazy truths for me. Uh, but on top of that, I, I cannot tell you how refreshing it is to be able to turn off, uh, the pundits and the talking heads and turn on a real American who isn't one of those brainwashed morons. Um, which brings me to the next thing I really wanted to say. Uh, and I'm sure every one of your listeners would agree, but it's so goddamn refreshing and so imperative and important that there are people like you who are patriotic and who are empathetic enough to actually devote their time to spreading the word of progressivism and economic change. And our voices are being drowned out by these billionaire-backed network hosts. And it's not just downright disgraceful. It's seriously depressing. So thank you for being a light in that darkness. Uh, and speaking of, I had the chance to go back and to listen to that, the first part of your live show on Thursday. Uh, and I, I heard what you said at the beginning about how much of a toll this takes on you uh, and how meaningless it can seem to make these videos. Uh, when you're not reaching more people, but this is honestly the main reason I'm calling today. And uh, truth is, I totally understand how stressful it must be to be aware of all of this so often. 
Um, but I, I wanted to mention why I can't stress enough to you that uh, you got to continue. Because uh, I was born into this god-awful world in uh, March of 2002, if you can believe it. And uh, it was in the immediate aftermath of 9-11. And growing up, uh, I remember the first time I ever heard of 9-11. Uh, and obviously, I was never able to experience it. Uh, I was never old enough to know the horrors of the uh, rape of – I mean the Iraq war. Uh, and I've grown up with people uh, who've had all kinds of ideas about what that meant and what actually happened there. Uh, and I've always considered myself something of a history buff. And at a certain point before high school, uh, I remember having to come to terms with terrorism and George Bush and Dick Cheney. And what the World Trade Center represents, and uh, in general, the meaning of 3,000 civilian deaths. Um, and up until that point, I could not have imagined anything like that, uh, or anything like fucking planes falling out of the sky and destroying national landmarks. Uh, and by that time, the one World Trade Center building that is in its place now had already been finished, uh, and the country was already treating that day like a terribly sad holiday. Uh, well, I, I also remember the moment that I heard that nearly $2 trillion had disappeared on September 10th, the military budget, and the moment that I realized how fucking corrupt these Republican bastards in 2001 really were. Uh, and I remember the shock and disbelief uh, that turned into some serious anger uh, about what happened there. Um, and while some of the first political memories that I have uh, are of the debates between Obama and McCain and then Obama's inauguration, uh, and while I'm also old enough to understand how recent that is relatively, uh, I just turned in my very first vote in any election in my lifetime, uh, and I'm so goddamn proud to know that if, if I'm ever able to get there, uh, that I could tell, I could tell my kids that I was on the right side of history if I ever get the chance. Um, and I live in Oregon, where we have voting by mail. And I turned 18 at the end of March, and I got my ballot in the mail at the end of April. Uh, but fuck Tara, uh, I know what you cover on your show is depressing. But if you want to know what's really depressing, I'll tell you. It's that I know a lot of kids my age, 18, who are going to vote for the spray tanning, draft dodging, rapey con man tax cheat, and half of those kids claim to be religious. Now, I don't know about you, but that shit makes me sick. And I mentioned when you took my call last time that I'm trying to start my own show and website from over here, and that's exactly why. Uh, but it's also my my main point. Uh, you cannot give up on us, Tara. Uh, don't give up on your awesome audience, uh, despite the incredible odds that we face. And if you do move out of the country, please continue and never stop trying to reach everyone you possibly can. Or all of you listeners, because you have an incredible voice of reason. And my generation and the families that my friends would end up having and all of our futures uh, depend on it. 
uh, not put too much pressure or to say that you have to do it alone or that you can't rely on all of us just as much as we rely on you. Uh, but all I want to get across is that the work that you do is so important. Uh, and if I listen to the anchors on CNN or NBC or God help me, Fox News, uh, I would have ended up falling into the trap and voting for half of the corporatists on my ballot. And that's the way that these motherfuckers are getting my generation, Tara. And I, I'm serious. Please, please, please continue doing the great work that you're doing. But thank you so much. You are seriously an amazing inspiration. Uh, but remember, we're all in this together. And I'd love to think that we might be able to help you um, with all the help that you clearly give this audience. And I can already tell how awesome and how kind-hearted they are. And I'm really happy to be here because you got you got something special. All right, thank you very much. Bye. -bye. Uh, hello. Thank you, Mark. Really, I listened to Mark's message, and uh, when I first heard it, I I mean, I literally cried listening to it and thinking about Mark's generation. An 18-year-old, plus you don't even sound 18. You sound like you're way beyond your years. You're wiser, definitely, beyond your years, which is something people always used to say to me, <laughs> which is not necessarily a good thing, but it's good. It is good. I'm only kidding. It just, ugh. you get uh, the, um, you know, I guess you you understand knowing it, it must be so much easier. This is what I, all right. What am I trying to say is I mean, my sister, okay. She's, she's a Republican, but that's only because her husband was a Republican. Now they're getting divorced. That's a whole other story. He was cheating on her. He's a, he's a piece of shit. You know, I mean, I told her, I, I could have told her that whatever, but anyway, he, She's a Republican because he's a Republican, you know what I mean? But she never had her own thoughts. I mean, if you go to my sister's house, my sister's a nice person. She's funny. She's smart. She's, cle you know, very clever. She's very loyal, many, you know, very decent person. But she doesn't understand what the fuck she's talking about. You go into my sister's house and you she doesn't watch the news she doesn't read a newspaper she only knows things that her husband would tell her and he every time i went over there he would have breitbart up on his computer and it was kind of this war that we would have and i would go in at night and change all of his bookmarks <laughs> like and put the different um you know left-wing sites like common dreams and of course my site rdt daily i would put it up there as his screensaver and you know whatever he of course changed it immediately back but he is that's i mean he's a fucking dum dumb he another one they my sister thinks that See, this is why the Republicans are so were, are so successful because somebody like my sister, who was raised by union 
members my father and mother were both members uh my father was a teamster my mother was a member of the postal union we had a decent middle class life because of the unions that republicans helped dismantle now my my father was a different story because he was a also a republican and i think that my sister thinks that being a Republican is sort of like being loyal to my father somehow. But she has no fucking idea. She has no clue. All she thinks is that Republicans are for low taxes, okay? And for less welfare. She's has this, and it's fucking racist. I mean, I all know that too. I know that too. She's got this these racist notions she would never say she's a racist, but she, I mean, she'll say recently. She actually said to me that, talking about um, how her kids aren't getting any, they don't get any help in college. You know, they don't, because they make too much money. My, my sister and her husband together, which is another story. They make too much money to get any any subsidies. And she said that the um, dreamers, the illegals, are getting a free ride at Rutgers. And I said to her, I would really like, I said, I highly doubt that, but I really want to know where you're getting your information from. And she was like, "Ah, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. And I said, because you're clearly spewing some bullshit and if that's the case if somebody is getting a subsidy because they're a few rungs lower on the ladder it's not their fault you should be angry at those at the top who make the laws who buy the politicians who make the laws who subsidize us into a divide and conquer type of system and it is by design and this is one of the things i said to aoc on the phone I told her about my sister, and that's how they get us to fight amongst each other. Throw a subsidy, and Democrats do this. The Democrats are guilty of this. Instead of fixing the problem, they throw a subsidy at it, and it's not they're not throwing a subsidy at the those who are on the lower ends of the ladder. They're throwing a subsidy at the broken system. That's what they're subsidizing. They're subsidizing the divide-and-conquer system that is now the least upwardly mobile, that has the middle class below 50% of the population, that has somebody like my sister, who is the daughter of two union house, two union, union members who are able to buy a house, to have a vacation now and then, have a decent middle-class life, being the working class, the solidly working class. That's what they did for a living. My father went out. He traded his time and muscle for a paycheck. That paycheck at the time, because of unions, afforded him a salary that enabled him to have a home in a decent middle-class neighborhood where he could go on vacation. He could, once in a while, he could buy a new car every couple of years, put money away in the bank. And when he got sick at the end of his life, he got Alzheimer's, he was able 
to have the care that he needed thanks to the policies of the New Deal and of uh, the, the very New Deal that the Republicans that he supported dismantled and continue to dismantle. I mean, we're still hanging by a thread. The millions are still living out of poverty thanks to the New Deal that progressives made possible, that they fought for that Republicans stood against and will continue to stand against, even though now, of course, as they do, they position themselves as the champions of the working class. They, When they're full of shit, they are the champions of division and the divide and conquer, um, kiss up, kick down, United States of serfs and lords. That's what we're living in now. So when another thing, uh, I remember another time, and it was in right before my father passed away, and we were in the hospital, and my sister said something about un oh some unions, you know, like this this uh, sickening um, disdain dripping from her tongue. Disunions, who uh, you know, disparaging unions for something that she was reading in the paper. We're sitting in the waiting room, and and I was like, "What the hell are you talking about, Colleen? You're the freaking daughter of two union members who don't who who had a a life because of the unions." But there you go. That's how they have done it to us. They have divided and conquered this country, and the subsidies are part of it, and they keep us divided. And we have a lot of work to do, including work on racism. But the reason we should remain divided, one of the, one of the best ways we could unify is by having a country where it belongs to everyone. The subs fuck the subsidies. We all, everybody in, nobody out. We, b it belongs to everything. If you want health care, we're all in this together. Black, white, straight, gay, whatever, native born or immigrant. We're in it together. That's how you stop the bullshit where we have a country in the middle of a pandemic where dum-dums are out there screaming and yelling, wanting to get back to work in the middle of a pandemic. They're not doing this anywhere else on Earth. They're doing it here because the government doesn't work for them. If we had a government that worked for the working class, the government would be doing what they're doing in every other functioning democracy, namely paying the people to stay the F home. So, like in other countries, they would have more to lose by going out than they do by, uh, uh, you know, more to lose if they went out than they do by not going out now. Now they want... that. That's another way the Republicans are keeping the system intact, the broken system. But because to them, it's not broken. You understand? It's not broken to them. They like it like this. This is the point. It has, they've worked very hard to get it to this point where the American people are at each other's throats. And there was a minute there, of a short minute, 
where they we were might have been in danger of getting too much democracy breaking out and that to the republicans was chaos to the conservatives they have always stood against progress including the progress of having a country that didn't that that overthrew a king and an aristocracy they've stood before progress from day 1 in this country and they continue to do so but it's not that hard. You know, there's been many... The, the, I mean, I'm talking about fix. It really isn't that hard. It doesn't take a... You don't have to overthink it. You don't have to come up with 80-page plans. You only have to do that when you are trying to maintain the broken system while pretending to throw some 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 bones at the dum-dums, keeping the revolution that is so needed that we can't live without, that we cannot have a democracy and intergenerational aristocracy at the same time. So, so they throw some subsidies, some bones at the dum-dums, at us and the Democrats, too, I'm talking about. It's time to change the paradigm. And that's why I get frustrated yelling into the the nothing. If Not that you guys are nothing, but um, if this was a functioning society, we would have a larger platform. It would reach more people, but it's not. The, it, this would be the mainstream. You understand? We're not talking about anything that radical at all. We would have a show on MSNBC, or at least an audience to rival an MSNBC audience. It would be, of course, and this would be in the public consciousness. The the whole the zeitgeist would, it would be, of course, yes. We don't leave anybody behind. Of course we don't. Of course we don't. Um, of course we have a system of um, of Medicare for all. What kind of uh, what kind of people do you think we are? Fucking barbarians or something? This is a functioning democracy. We don't leave people behind, and because we know you can't have a, a democracy and concentrated wealth at the same time, we understand that we have a progressive taxation and a high top marginal tax rate that prevents the growth of an intergenerational aristocracy. Of course. So, instead, uh, I get, I honestly, it does hurt my heart every day that I see these trump acting, uh, attacking, attacking the free press Sticking up for a con man. It hurts my heart that a con man who received fewer votes struts around like he fucking, um, he, like he's got a mandate. Another thing that breaks my heart, I don't know if you saw this. Oh my God. Let me see. Did I catch this?
Maybe I didn't catch it. I could probably play it. Oh no. Son of a bitch. I don't know if you saw this. This is in the middle of a pandemic. Twitler has, I mean, think about what's going on. A, nearly 90,000 Americans are dead now because of the ineptitude that we have a tax-cheating, draft-dodging, dictator-envying con man with a fake university and a vitamin scam who re receive fewer votes squatting in the White House. And I'll show you my screen. I don't know if you saw this. They've unveiled the Space Force flag. Finally, after all this time, a Space Force flag. Are you serious? Wait, wrong page. Let me see. The ecam is so annoying. Help me. Look at this. Please, please get a picture. That's beautiful. Mr. President, you'll stand in your office alongside the other service flags. Very, very great honor. It's a great honor. That's a beautiful flag. Where have I seen that flag before? That flag will now stand beside New York. I mean, the uh, the army, the navy, the the service flags. A Space Force flag. Look at the Space Force flag. It's a fucking Starfleet Command flag. Are you serious? It's a joke. Look at that. I'm not kidding. And if you haven't seen it, if you're on the podcast, please Google it. It is the flag of Starfleet Command. Look, right there. That's Starfleet Command. And that's Space Force. Look, same goddamn icon. Uh, they don't even try. That's what happens when you have a tax-cheating, draft-dodging con man who played a successful businessman on reality television. He's not a successful businessman. He's a con man who likes television. He gets his ideas from television. He watches Fox News for his daily intelligence briefing. And he's squatting in the White House right now. Think about that. All of the Americans who fought bled and died for this country all over the globe. There are young men and women in their cold early graves who gave their last measure of devotion for the, the ideals of the lib liberal age of enlightenment, for democracy, for this thing of ours, the grand experiment. And this guy, this fucking useless moron who is the biggest loser 
let's remember Trump is the biggest, the most, <laughs> what, how do you put it? Um, of all U.S. taxpayers, Trump lost the most money consistently for years. That's not um, fake news. That's documented. We don't have to see his tax returns. We know. Let's see. So that means instead, not just, um, he doesn't just lose money. He lost more money. He was the single biggest loser of all taxpayers in the country. There had to be somebody, and it was him. He lost, meaning we had to give him more money to, he he was declaring a loss, billions of dollars, according to the New York Times and a monumental and well, um, what do you call it, cited piece of journalism that Trump, that's why Trump has to devalue truth like any autocrat, he, in this expose, this is from the New Yorker, it says, where is it, John Cassidy, New Yorker, Donald Trump and other members of the Trump family engaged in a sham financial, in sham financial schemes during the 90s, uh, during, yeah, during the 90s, including what the newspaper described as instances of outright fraud. That's your president. To avoid paying hundreds of millions of dollars in taxes on the real estate fortune that Fred Trump passed on to his children. And we've talked about this before. This is what they do. They created fake, They well, first they created fake LLC, and then they created fake inflated invoices to siphon money from, that, from daddy's trust fund tax-free. And then they use those fake inflated invoices to go to the government and say, look, we have to raise rent on fixed income tenants, on those uh, in rent-controlled apartments. This is the scum that we're talking about, the scum of the earth, who kiss up, kick down scumbags. They don't just kiss up, kick down to... They're not just kissing up to just the wrist. They're kiss- kissing up to autocrats, to brutal dictators who lure journalists into an embassy and dismember them alive. This is who we're talking about, the scum of the earth. And anybody who votes for this person is enabling the scum of the earth. And trust me, when I tell you, History is not going to look kindly on on Trump and his enablers. It won't. It, when in the light of history, I know Bill Barr. Nothing f- more fascist. It's, every day is another level of fascism. But there, there's nothing more fascist than Bill Barr telling um, whoever he was. I can't remember who was interviewing him, saying history is written by the victors. That's what they think. So, no, not that you're doing wrong as the hand of the king, that you're a scumbag who's undermining the democratic system and spitting in the face and spitting on the graves of real patriots. But I guess they would call suckers. 
young people who gave their lives for this country. And I, it breaks my heart. And when I hear from Mark, a young man, 18-year-old young man, and I think about the young men that I see in Calvary Cemetery, when I go to Calvary Cemetery, the Civil War graves of 18-year-old young men laying in Calvary Cemetery, Civil War dead, who had to, who gave their lives because these fucking conservatives wanted to own human beings. So, it's, uh, uh, that sacrifice, there is nothing more precious than your life. Every creature values its existence. It's its only, it's the, the most precious commodity for every creature. That's why I don't eat animals on top of it. I mean, I'm not going to get into it now again. But, like, for instance, I don't know, whatever. They don't give a shit. That's it. I, you can't appeal to conservatives on uh, their, I mean, these, the, like somebody like Bill Barr or Twitler. These are sociopaths. They don't have the capacity for that kind of connection. Trump is a sick person, and it ne he needs to be he, he needs to be treated as a sick person, not given power. But I don't know what's sicker. This is why the Democrats drive me insane too. What's sicker? Somebody who gives a sociopath power? Or the other, the opposition that enables it. You can't play nice with the sociopaths. You gotta fight them like your lives depend upon it because it does. And they're not kidding around either. That's what I'm really, I, I mean, obviously I am a Democrat. I don't know if that's obvious, but I am. A registered Democrat, I've been a Democrat my entire life. I feel that for all the flaws, yeah, there are many flaws in the Dem Democratic Party, but part of the flaws, um, for, for all their flaws, they're not, they would never put somebody like a Twitler in the catbird seat of power. They would never make a Twitler their standard bearer. Okay, so you can give them that. That's why I think there's hope with the Democratic Party. I, I wish that they would, even though, I mean, we're talking about the, the corporatists. They're, we got a long way to go with them. Obviously, here's my assessment of what happened. I know that people are going to get annoyed, but who cares? Um, with, with Bernie and the Democratic, the DLC Democratic Party. Because, I th uh, why Twitler was able to take over the Republican Party is because the Republican Party already has a distrust of government. They have, it's the Frankenstein monster that the establishment Republicans unleashed on themselves. This whole, um, you know, government is the problem, blah, 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 uh, for years. So when you had somebody like a Twitler come in and saying, only I can fix it, the swamp, the swamp, 
the average run-of-the-mill Republican, the dum-dum, the the average dupe, they under they they were ripe to turn against the establishment Democratic Party, whereas the establishment, I mean the you know what I'm saying, uh, they were ripe to turn against the establishment Republican Party, whereas the establishment Democratic Party, the run-of-the-mill average Democrat, has um, is less apt to turn on the establishment because they don't, they haven't been, um, they haven't been told for years that government is the problem. Okay. I hope I'm making sense. And that's why when somebody like Bernie came in saying, um, we're up against the establishment, the, run-of-the-mill Democrats who aren't always involved. So you had the -the run-of-the-mill average Dems. They just show up at election. They would say that they're, uh, uh, you know, these are the undecideds. I don't know. I'm um, going between Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar. As long as they have a D after their name. They, these are the people that would I want to pull my fucking hair out when I would listen to them at these caucuses. Like, oh, come over here, we got better pizza. Or and uh, they have no fucking clue. They're like, oh well, you know, Amy, she's like, I don't know, she's someone who can uh, work with the Republicans. But Pete Buttigieg, he speaks five languages, so like shit that doesn't fucking matter. You know, so the these are the people who are they they call themselves Democrats because they're not rabid sociopaths. They hate Twitter. They see what a what an abnormal fucking con man he is. But they're also not involved to the point that we are involved with politics. They're not really paying attention. They see that the Democrats don't let you starve in the streets that they throw subsidies at you. And isn't that nice? And then you have the other ones who want to get back to brunch. The ones who, they they can't, they're higher up on the ladder, the professional class. They're, they don't really feel the sting of the lash of the conservative policies. These are the people, they have decent health care. You know, they're, they have nice apartments, they have their private health insurance be paid for by their companies and and such they never they don't really understand what it is living check to check you got those people and that's the people that the democratic party is now appealing to they're actively and openly appealing to the professional class they're jettisoning jettisoning the working class and they're kind of ceding that ground to Twitler, unfortunately. And so that's why when when Bernie Sanders comes in and says, we're up against the establishment, these are the people who are watching MSNBC constantly. They're not looking at democracy now. They're not watching this show, that's for sure. They're not really... They're... they're they would consider themselves actively engaged, but not not that not in my opinion. Honestly, they 
not to the point that we are. So they don't mistrust the establishment Democratic Party. They take Joe Biden at face value, what he's saying now. They're not really going into his background. The outright lies that he told about his stances, about being on the front lines of the civil rights movement, all this shit, all that bullshit. They, yes, they are part of the problem. The denial that they, uh, uh, they're the obstructionists, really, the hampered, the, what's the word? Uh, they're the speed bumps to progress, to change, that is actively needed. These people, all right, Junior, get down. They, um, I, okay, that's why they don't, they didn't turn on the Democratic establishment like the Trumps, the Trump Trumpanzees enforced the, the entire Republican Party to turn on its establishment and become the party of Trump. We could have done that. I had hope for a minute and a half that that would have happened. But you saw how the MSNBCs, how the corporate media completely turned on Bernie. How they, because they don't really want change. That's why you can run on change you can believe in. Whatever, whatever the fuck that means. Change you can believe in? That means nothing. What that is, is here's another subsidy. We're not as bad. Here's some Republican ideas for you that will keep the American middle class below 50% of the population, that will keep the upward uh, mobility of this country the worst in uh, of all our western partners all of these actual the truth of the matter is that the united states is not a functioning democracy anymore and as far as bernie is concerned he needed to fight like that he needed to bring that to the table and that's why i wanted i hoped against hope that when Bernie said, we're up against the establishment, well, explain it. He needed to explain it better, saying that it's, what does that mean? We are the least upwardly mobile nation. And when you talk about, oh, you care about union members losing their health insurance, what what did Elizabeth Warren say? I'm well, I don't want to. I don't want this because they were at the Nevada caucuses. The um, one of the fights was, oh, the 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 workers, whatever they were, the service workers union in in Nevada, they're going to lose their cushy health insurance. It's the gold standard. They have all these health clinics. They're beautiful, and everyone's it's wonderful and and fucking great. And Elizabeth Warren said, oh, I don't want to take this away from anybody. I want everybody to have this wonderful way to put it. But what she really needed to say was that we're in this together, that this, this is another way to divide us. 
that you have yours and it sucks to be, uh, oh, well, fuck off. Uh, I got mine and, um, oh, well, that's, that's really what she was saying. I, I want everybody to have this. It's okay. You want everybody to have this, but everybody in, nobody out. This is how they divide us. By saying, because the fucking being on your own out here is, uh, everyone is hanging by a thread, hoping that they can fly under the radar, but just because you're, somebody has access to this great health care right now, doesn't mean they're gonna have access to it. What happens when you lose your job? Exactly. Right now, millions of Americans are losing their job. They're also losing their health care. This is a way to divide us. Say, so, uh, yes, I love this. I'm glad that they have this. But and I guess maybe Elizabeth Warren said it and maybe it was right. I want everybody to have it. But I really wish they would follow up with that's the American way. We are in this together. And the fact that they're trying to divide and conquer us over health care lets us know that we're, you know, you have to fight with the moral authority. It lets us know that, um, you know, exactly what we need to do, which is we have to get, take that hammer out of their hands. They can, the, the, the fact of the matter is that if somebody loses their job, They'll lose that cushy health care. And if you are staying in a job because you're afraid you're going to lose your health care, you're not free. And right now we're in the middle of a goddamn pandemic and we have millions of Americans that have no health care. That's ridiculous and it's unnecessary and it's based on greed. Not based on health. And if you got yours... And you're hoping that you could keep it? Bullshit. Oh, if you like your health care, you can keep it? Who the fuck would like that? Who likes having a private health insurance company talk about, um, you know, uh, talk about a death panel? Here's another thing. Let me show you something now that I'm thinking of this. I saw Schumer was on MSNBC today, and here's him talking about food lines. Urgent and necessary things. You know, we have 30 million people out of work. We have thousands and thousands of small businesses going out of business, going bankrupt and closing up every day. We have lines and lines at food pantries. People who never went to food pantries have them. And we have uh, so many people um, just, just in limbo. Can you feel the passion in his voice? Never went to food pantries, have them. And closing up every day. We have lines and lines at food pantries. People who never went to food pantries have them. And we have uh, so many people um, just, just in limbo. And so the answer is something that is strong, that is bold, that is large, and that meets our urgent necessities. Now, Mitch McConnell has had a habit here. Each of the bills that has come forward, the COVID-3 bill, the COVID-3-5 bill, and now four, he says, we're not doing anything. And you know what happens, Alicia? Public pressure mounts. 
Uh, right now, for instance, state and local governments are saying we're going to have to lay off thousands, maybe millions of people if we don't get aid rather soon. Most of their deadline is June 1st in terms of their budgets. And these are not, this is not some abstract concept. These are policemen and firefighters. These are ambulance drivers. These are bus drivers. These are food safety workers. And what will happen, my belief is, that there will be such pressure on Leader McConnell that once again he will have to back off. Virtually no one in America believes what he said the other day, which is he says he doesn't see an urgent need to act immediately. Ask the 30 million unemployed people. Ask the millions of businesses that are going bankrupt. Ask the people who can't feed their children or are afraid of being kicked out of their homes. There is urgent need. The public will put pressure on McConnell, and he will have to come to the table. Um... Okay, great. But do you feel the passion in Chuck Schumer's voice? I don't know. That's who he is, I guess. Everybody's got to be who they are. But the way that they discuss, oh, there are people at food banks. There are people that uh, never went to food banks. They're now at food banks. Why don't they frame it? I don't know. They need to frame it as this is a... An, an affront to the United States. This is not America. It's not patriotic. We are the only country where they're lining up at food banks. Every other country, they're able to give salaries. You're, in England, they're getting 80% of their salaries to stay home. There's no reason for anybody to go out of business. This is a choice. They need to fight. It's unbelievable. They have no passion. It's unreal. It's the, the, he fights with the urgency of somebody with a full stomach, health care, and a cushy goddamn roof over his head. While the American people are sliding further and further down the ladder. He needs to fight like lives are on the line, and they are. Oh, I think Leader McConnell will come to the table. I mean, I mean, you know what? You've been at this too long, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. It's not about fucking being polite. You failed, mother effers. You failed. On your watch, we went from the most to the least upwardly mobile with the widest income gap of all OECD nations where you're born in America you're more likely if you're born poor in America you're more likely to remain poor than in any other western country that's a disgrace Nancy Pelosi says her best her greatest accomplishment was passing the ACA oh we gotta get things done we got it done now let's improve on it. Let's make it better. Let, you don't make it better. Re- okay, okay, okay. I'm fucking losing my mind. This is what happens when your number one priority is not to the, the constituents. It's to keeping your cushy-ass job funded by the big-moneyed interests. If they really gave a shit... Get money out of politics. Nancy Pelosi's claim to fame is that she's a great fundraiser. 
Well, who fucking needs it if you, there's no money in politics? Why are they fundraising? Who are you fundraising from? This is a, a disgrace to America, to the every dead American, to the 18 and 20-year-old dead soldiers lying in Calvary Cemetery who gave their lives for this country. If they could see us now, my God, what a disgrace, really. I think Schumer, I mean, I think Mitch McConnell's got to come to the table. What? Where's the fucking passion, the energy? He, Chuck Schumer should say, the system is broken. It's broken by money. I'd rather spend time working for the American people than stay on the phone trying to hustle fucking money from the donor class. And what is a goddamn donor class? That's another thing. Oh, my God. Maybe I can find this. Oh, my God. Wait. Holy shit. This, I, I'm thinking of this one MSNBC. Of course, my goddamn finder isn't working. Wonderful. And I'm afraid that something's gonna break. Oh, why? Why? <sighs> lordy, lordy, lordy. I'm thinking of this, um, what do you call it? Of this clip I grabbed from MSNBC once that made me so mad. Let's see if I can find it. Robert Costa, you know, clearly... No, no. Hmm. Biden. No, that's not it. Robert Costa... ...being for the first time in over a month. The legislation... No. God damn it. ...the urgent... It was this. It was this piece he did. Chuck Todd did this piece saying, "I'm obsessed. What's on my mind today? I'm obsessed with uh, Sheldon Adelson." And he was saying how they—he's the white whale. Everyone's white whale. Not in any sense. Did he, or any frame, What uh, the whole frame of the thing should have been, what? Why are our so-called representatives courting Sheldon Adelson? That goes to show you just how sick this, oh, here it is. Okay, oh my God, I found it. I can't believe it. Here we go. Oh, I can't hear it. Why not? Fuck. Welcome back. Tonight I'm obsessed with something that a lot of people here in Las Vegas are obsessed with. The whale. Now, to you, a whale is a giant sea creature, a marine mammal. 
that has fascinated us forever. From the biblical times, just as Jonah, to Captain Ahab and the big white whale, even to Bailey the beluga whale and finding Dory. But here in Vegas, whale has a very different meaning. Here, a whale is a deep-pocketed gambler, bigger than a mere high roller, someone gambling more than a million bucks a weekend. And here in Nevada, there's another kind of whale, the kind named Shelton Adelson, the kind who heads the Sands Empire. The 85-year-old Adelson, along with his wife Miriam, has gambled $50 million on Republican House candidates this year, 5-0. That $50 million went to a group called the Congressional Leadership Fund. It's the official super PAC that supports House Republicans, either running for re-election or for a new seat. And that $50 million, it represents nearly half of all the money this PAC has spent this cycle, 40%. Much of it has been going to candidates who are struggling financially, who've been outraised. He's the single biggest donor to Republican House candidates. Ask yourself, where would they be without Adelson's money? Go to First Read today. We'll show you the difference he makes with and without him. Where would they be without their sugar daddy? Where would they be without their Vegas whale? So here in Vegas, forget about Jonah or Ahab or Dory. Here in Vegas, as far as Speaker Ryan and other Republican leaders, the whale that matters to them is named Sheldon Adelson. Okay, you see why I want to fucking go nuts? The whale that matters to them is Sheldon Adelson. Nowhere in that piece was the outrage that one old bag of bones... One disgusting human being who made his money basically being a dope dealer for gambling addicts, for siphoning nickel slot money out of, out of some Social Security recipient's sad life. It's, uh, he's the whale. What really matters, where would they be without him? As if. This is a functioning system, as if that's something that it's normal. We should all take it for granted, and you don't question the system that is turning to one fucking old, disgusting human being. It's not about whether he's a good, bad, or indifferent human being either. There, it shouldn't turn on the whims of a human being, one person. That's not America. That is not why the dead are lying in Arlington National Cemetery. And the, we disgrace them. And Chuck Todd disgraces them. With a fucking um, story like that, I bet he thought he was really being clever there. Hey, you know, I got a good idea to make a story we're going to do. I'm obsessed with the white whale, just like whales um, here are in Vegas are high rollers, and with the one whale that matters is Sheldon Adelson to our political process. That's why? That's why uh, Sergeant Peter Welsh gave his life in the Civil War? For... This fucking, for one old, 85-year-old, old bag of bones, some goddamn crypt keeper? To buy the government? That's not the government that he died for? God damn it. 
or all of those those men who died who stormed the beaches of Normandy young people like Mark young like that man 18 years old never 18 fucking summers and that's it unlike Chuck Todd and Sheldon Adelson gave their life fighting fascism fighting corporatism that's what fascism is the merger of corporation and state and that's what we have especially we the founders who fought a revolution against an intergenerational aristocracy regardless I know they're racist misogynists and everything else they're the products of their age but yet they wrote from the liberal age of enlightenment and we still have an obligation to actualize that vision because we're way off track and we're not going to get there if we don't confront the reality that having one motherfucking old bag of bones running government having our politicians who are supposed to be representing the people running to some old bag of bones for money is not the kind of system that so many fought, bled, and died to entrust to us. That's not America. That's not American democracy. That is an intergenerational aristocracy like the founders rebelled against. And we have an obligation as patriots to ensure that this, this word gets out. That we stand up against this. That the, the likes of Chuck Todd, who's got a giant platform. He gets that platform by being a good dog. Sit up, beg, roll over, scratch your belly. He's not there to fulfill one of the constitutionally prescribed roles to inform the people. He's there to keep the sheeple dumb. So how many people, good Democrats, you know, the ones who couldn't decide between Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg, whether um, Amy can get things done with Republicans, meaning like the Iraq war and uh, all uh, various crimes, kiss up, kick down crimes, or the guy who, whatever, could speak five languages like that fucking matters, even if he can, honestly, that's another story, but... Um, that person saw that package on MSNBC and was like, oh yeah, they really care about these big whales. They didn't see anything wrong with that. They didn't put the connection together. Because what we're talking about on this show is not in the public consciousness, even though it's as goddamn common sense as uh, as the sun rising in the east and setting in the west it's a given that when you you that you dance with the ones who bring you to the party and democracy is not about buying it shouldn't be about buying politicians there's one thing to be said for lobbying. Yes, of course. Lobbying, petitioning your government. They have taken that so far to the edge. It's not, it's over the edge. And it has now been 
legal bribery is now enshrined in our system. Thanks to the filthy fascists who got their goddamn clutches around government. They got the clutches around the democracy and they squeezed the life out of it. I'm here to try to resuscitate it by speaking the truth about it. And I don't, I don't say, I mean, I always, we talk about speaking truth to power. They, power doesn't give a shit about truth to power. You speaking truth to power? No. We're speaking truth to you. To your DLC Democratic friends. So that they can join us on the right side of history and the right side of democracy. And we can actually have a government that works for all, that is of, by, and for the people. And honor all the sacrifices that young men and women have, have put, they put their last measure of devotion on the line. They didn't do that so Sheldon Adelson can buy a politician. They did that so he couldn't. So we all had a seat at the table, an honorable system that worked for all. That's what they were working for. Or at least that's the fucking line that they were sold. It makes it's so offensive. Somebody like Chuck Todd, and that's the person they have a large platform and i'm telling you the uh if this this show if this if i was a right winger we would they would have me on fox news there is no doubt that's what would happen they don't put a show like this on msnbc because they are also corporatists and that's clear it's clear the way they treated Bernie, the way they treated the Bernie supporter, the youth. And they just want a kinder, gentler type of corporatism. Obviously, it's clear, given some package like that, that Chuck Todd runs saying, hey, you know, uh, there's... Basically, the whole over overarching theme of that that piece that he that they ran on MSNBC is that there's nothing wrong with a system like this. It's f kind of funny, you see, that that the politicians have to go and court their white whale or their big fish. There's no. But there's nothing to see here. Move along. It's normal. Ha, ha, ha. When that whole piece should have been about, are you kidding me? We have politicians who are courting one man. This is an outrage. This is an affront. This is a disgrace. And this is everything why? This is the exact reason why we're in the boat we're in. Why we have a Twitler. It's the truth. We have a Twitler because of the kiss-up, kick-down policies of both parties that enabled the, the, the American working class that's, that's kicked the working class down a few more rungs lower on the ladder when you 
Um, if you know them by their fruits, when you look at the statistics and you and you think a politician like Chuck fucking Schumer or Nancy Pelosi having been in government for years and years and years, they would look at the the fruits of their labors as, oh shit, you mean uh, I've been in this this seat and all the while the American working class has become the American working poor. And now from the time I started till today, the American people, one third of the American people can't retire. All of these statistics and uh, the, uh, I mean, it's, it's a, that's shows you that you're failing. You're a failure. You're failing the people when the wants and needs of working people have a statistically insignificant effect on government policy. That should be on Chuck Schumer's tongue every morning, every time they get in front of a camera. But they, oh my gosh. Yeah, I don't know. Every, I, I, I don't know. Oh God, this is it. This is why I get insane. Yes, I know everybody has to be themselves, but why are you so calm, Chuck? I'm not talking about Todd right now, Chuck Schumer. Why are you so calm talking about the food lines and people in danger of losing their homes? Why is that? Why are you so calm about that? I have a feeling that uh, Mitch McConnell is going to have to get on board. And never before have we seen. So many food lines. The food lines are your mark of failure. That there are food lines. That we're the only country that has these food lines. This is what I have to... I keep saying. Why don't I see this on the corporate media? That this country is the only country that has a fucking food line. When we're in the middle of a pandemic. They are just opening Italy right now. Just starting. After months, they were the first to close. They they were uh, they were hit hard by the pandemic. Of course, no one has even come near the amount of death that we have here because of our broken ass system. But they're the first close. They're just beginning slowly to open after months and months. But there's no food lines. Businesses aren't going out of out of business. They're not going bankrupt. People aren't losing their homes. Except here. You want to see something that makes you want to vomit? These fucking idiots. I'm just trying to get by on the sidewalk, that's all. Well, you shouldn't be here. You fake news. You stopped. You stopped airing the Trump briefings and you keep airing Cuomo briefings. Go home, you fake news. Go We know you want to keep your job. We get it. You're not getting advertiser dollars right now. You want to you're not going to answer? So you're just going to go live? Yes, I am getting a paycheck. I'm very happy, but other people are not getting paychecks. And they're not getting here. You used to be a good channel at one time. I don't know what happened to you. Don't worry. Stop. You're a virus. 
That's your fellow Americans. Aren't they ugly? They are the personification of the ugly American. They're stupid. They're easily played. They're out there screaming at the press. The only, the, I mean, the only um, profession enshrined in the Constitution as essential for a free democracy, they're fall they fall for the oldest autocrat tricks in the book devaluing the currency of truth that's what twitler has done and the reason i was able to i i saw that video was because twitler retweeted it with all caps great people here those are great people in Twitler's America. No, they, those people would not know great if it fucking slapped them on the ass with a rolled-up Forbes magazine. They have no clue what great is. They're disgusting. The way they behave. Fuck you, your fake news. Tell the truth. What are you do? What? Of course. They have dismantled this country and this is the point you can't have a functioning democracy when the american people f believe that the that they're being lied to all the time that you can't they have dis they have sown this discourse this discord and division on purpose so we cannot have a functioning democracy they don't want a functioning democracy. You understand? If they did, if the Republican Party wanted this country to function as designed, as a free, liberal democracy, they would see people like that and they would tone them down. They wouldn't put them in the forefront. They wouldn't activate them like st stochastic terrorists that they are. And all the while, they need those fucking idiots out there to go out there and rail and stomp and, and they can't have unity. You understand? Because if the American people actually understood that those fucking idiots, if those fucking idiots understood that, yeah, get angry. You should be angry. You've been fucking duped. But it's not by the fucking fake news, so-called. It's by the dum-dums sending you out in a pandemic rather than giving you the money to stay home 
like they are in every other country. They want you to die on the front lines. They like we did on the last show talking about how Twitler said his it was a beautiful thing to see doctors running into death like soldiers running into bullets. That's a beautiful thing. And these fucking idiots, I don't know, they're more worried that Twitler might, I don't know, not meet them for a beer or something than they are uh, about the pandemic. They need to, yeah, get angry. But get angry at the right things. The problem is that if they're angry at the pillars of democracy and everybody who isn't Twitler is lying to them, then we have a very long way to go. We will not have a functioning democracy. You can't. They have sown this discord and division and into that discord and division and upward immobility and income disparity steps a Twitler and fascism and autocracy, the end of democracy, which is everything that the goddamn conservatives have been trying to do since the founders rebelled. They're not just dragging us back past the progressive era they or the first Gilded Age. They want to go back before the revolution, back to the Dark Ages, where the rich run everything and rule everybody and everybody else toils in the fields and awaits their reward in heaven. This is the end game. Don't worry, we'll still have the flag. We'll still have the bullshit trappings of America, but the whole spirit will be gone. Because what's the spirit? There is no unity. I keep seeing all these commercials. We're in this together. We're in this together. Not when Republicans are concerned. No, no, no. They don't want unity. And then we have a a feckless opposition party that only wants a little it wants a little less chaos they still don't want to do anything substantial about the income disparity the upward immobility and the broken system that made twitler possible and to, unless we force them to that's why i do what i do to force them to push them there will come a time when they will have no choice. Sort of like with a $15 minimum wage. How that was so pie in the sky a couple of years ago. Now it's sweeping the nation. Now even the right-wing Governor Cuomo is an advocate and passed the $15 minimum wage here in New York City. Oh, you're not... You see what that dumb bitch said on the video? You're not playing Twitler. Well, he, she said asshole. Uh, well, tw- you know, tr- I can't even say his name. Um, you're not, you're playing Cuomo. You are fake news. It's children, dummies, easily led morons and angry. But like I said, get angry at the right things. They should be angry. That's what an autocrat does. A, they tap into the anger that's there. Because, yes, these people have been fucked over. But they're fucked over by the moneyed class. The big moneyed interests. Jesus Christ, let me play. I'm looking at the time. I'm going to stop the show around 9.30. Because I started at 7.30. I got to do a two-hour show on Saturdays. 
And I'm going to have to figure out what to do about this loop back and everything else. That sucks. Um, the only way I could get the show to go was I had to uninstall Loopback, but I need Loopback to do other things with the Anyway, whatever. We don't want to get into this again. But, and I didn't even, actually, I haven't even checked in with you guys on the chat. I've been not a good host. And I'm sure I've gotten some super chats that went by with that. Oh my god. God, you guys are insane. I can't believe it. We have hit a new record on the Super Chat. Holy shit. Wow. I should cry on the air more often. <laughs> I can't. I could have been an actress, but I suck at it, so. What you see is what you get. Even though I was the mighty germ when I was a child, I was the star of the school play, the mighty germ, and I really owned that role. I remember I had to wear a black leotards, black tights, had antenna. It was all about children washing their hands, and I was the mighty germ. And I wore a cape. My mother made a cape for me, and I used to wear that cape all the time. And I practiced. I went out in front, center, center stage, spotlight, me all by myself, little me, I think I was like in first grade or something or second. Anyway, and my first line, that spotlight hit, boom. I am the mighty germ. I make children infirm. I'll never forget it. I owned it. I am the mighty germ. I make children infirm. So, wow, lots of super chats. Let's see. There should be an automatic tweet that goes out. So we got Joey Bay, Mark C, Greg. That's the only super chats. That Jim, of course. But there's so maybe did you did somebody put a lot of money in the super chat? Like I will only find out after the show. It must have been Joey Bay. He, and also, <laughs> I don't know if you meant, if you knew that Donald Trump is now a pod, is now a, um, not podcast subscriber. He is a patron. I kid you not. If you go on patreon.com slash Tara Devlin, you will see Donald Trump is one of the patrons. I am not kidding. That's his name. Hopefully Mike Pence will join. Who knows? You guys, wow. Thank you. Thank you, Joey. Oh, and Junior. But, all right, let's, you want to get really um, sad? Let's watch. No, I know. Let's play FDR, the second Bill of Rights. If we, if FDR didn't die... Right? I know. Let's see. The job you did on to begin the laying of the plans and to determine the strategy, more for more than the winning of the war, it is time to begin the plans and determine the strategy for winning a lasting peace and the establishment of an American standard of living higher than ever known before. 
This republic had its beginning and grew to its present strength under the protection of certain inalienable political rights, among them the right of free speech, free press, free worship, trial by jury, freedom from unreasonable searches and seizures. They were our rights to life and liberty. We have come to a clearer realization of the fact, however, that true individual freedom cannot exist without economic security and independence. Necessitous men are not free men. People who are hungry, people who are out of a job, are the stuff of which dictatorships are made. And that's where we are right now. People who are hungry, people who are out of a job are the stuff of which dictatorships are made. And after World War II, after the carnage of 55 million human beings dead and the destruction, the devastation of fascism, of selfishness, racism, corporatism, we, the, the uh, world, the United States, unfortunately lost their greatest modern standard bearer for democracy, FDR, who believed in democracy, even though he was born into wealth. He was truly the greatest modern president because we still have millions of Americans who live above the poverty line because of his policies. He brought electricity to the dum-dum sitting in the dark in Tennessee. He had the, the, he spread the progressive good, the good news of progressivism that we are in this together, that there are some things that are worth more than money. And that's unity. And that's why you would bring electricity into the rural, rural communities, even though it's not profitable. Right now, these rural communities would be sitting in the dark, literally, instead of the way they're sitting in the dark figuratively, as they are. You know, the irony of some of these dum-dums in these red states and these obscure back swill backwater towns that are all for Trump, these same morons scouring the internet on thanks, well, first of all, the internet, uh, a government R&D project, research and development, it wouldn't, it, and sitting on the internet, scouring, uh, you know, using electricity brought to them by progressives on an internet created by government R&D railing against democracy, against progressivism, without a hint of irony, when they would be sitting in the dark without with, uh, 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 the ability to spread their conspiracy theories. But FDR understood that we, what he was saying was, let's build on, we, 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 we fought this horrible war. We defeated fascism. And 
how we build a lasting peace is by leaving no one behind. The stuff of which dictatorships are made. Holy shit. And here we are. Isn't it funny how the American, the whole American story, there's certain times where we could have taken a, uh, a, 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 a different turn. Like when Carter put the solar panels on the White House and Reagan took them down. And here we are. Or when the Supreme Court overturned the, or, or, to, or told the Florida, the people of uh, Florida that they would, they weren't going to count all the votes and installed George Bush into the presidency in spite of him receiving fewer votes. And FDR's Bill of Rights, that's another turning point that we never saw to come to fruition. We'd be a much better we'd be a much better country, a much freer country. People who are hungry, people who are out of a job are the stuff of which dictatorships are made. In our day, these economic proofs have become accepted as self-evident. We have accepted, so to speak, a second Bill of Rights, under which a new basis of security and prosperity can be established for all, regardless of station or race or creed. Among these are the right to a useful and remunerative job in the industry, or shops, or farms, or mines of the nation. The right to earn enough to provide adequate food and clothing and recreation. The right of farmers to raise and sell their products at a return which will give them and their families a decent living. The right of every businessman, large and small, to trade in an atmosphere of freedom from unfair competition and domination by monopolies at home or abroad. The right of every family to a decent home. The right to adequate medical care and the opportunity to achieve and enjoy good health. The right to adequate protection from the economic fears of old age and sickness and accident and unemployment. Finally, the right to a good education. All of these rights spell security. And after this war is won, we must be prepared to move forward in the implementation of these rights, the new goals of human happiness and well-being. America's own rightful place in the world depends in large part upon how fully these and similar rights have been carried into practice for all our citizens. For unless there is security here at home, there cannot be lasting peace in the world. One of the great American industrialists of our day, a man who has rendered human service to his country in this crisis, recently emphasized the grave dangers of rightist reaction in this nation. All fair-thinking businessmen share that concern. Indeed, if such reaction should develop, if history would repeat itself, and we were to return to the so-called normalcy of the 1920s, 
then it is certain that even though we shall have conquered our enemies on the battlefields abroad, we shall have yielded to the spirit of fascism here at home. I ask the Congress to explore the means for implementing this economic bill of rights. For it is definitely the responsibility of the Congress so to do, and the country knows it. Many of these problems are already before committees of the Congress in the form of proposed legislation. I shall from time to time communicate with the Congress with respect to these and further proposals. In the event that no adequate program of progress is evolved, I am certain that the nation will be conscious of the fact. It breaks my heart. Honestly, I was crying when I first heard it. It makes me cry when I hear it. Again, because of what, what we have inside, what our potential could have been what oh, is that a stupid way to say it what our potential could have been what we could have been and we can still be that's why i wish bernie had had just framed his argument in the patriotic terms and talked about the movement as finally realizing fdr's dream his new deal the second Bill of Rights, bringing the New Deal to fruition, finally. It is, that's our American birthright, the right to housing, education, health, all of these things. We'd be a much better country. We'd be a much freer country. As he said, the stuff of dictatorship. When you're out of work, out of a job, economic insecurity, that is the stuck stuff of dictatorship. And that's what we're seeing right now. That's Twitler. Into a functioning society, a Twitler would never have ridden, risen to the highest executive office. He is the symptom of the problem. He is not the problem. So, guys, I want to thank you all for sticking with me sticking with the show in spite of me. Oh, there goes Francis licking himself on camera. <laughs> Francis! Hey. Give it a rest, hon. Give it a rest. And, yeah, we're up against the moneyed interests that FDR talked about. The stuff of dictatorships. All right, it's been an emotional roller coaster tonight. Hopefully... I won't crack up and I want to thank you all for all your support, for your encouragement, for your patronage at patreon.com slash Tara Devlin, for sharing the show with your friends, for watching my cat lick his ass behind me, kind of brings it into perspective. Guys, thank you so much for being there, and we are in this together. Thank you, Mark, for your encouraging words. All right, get down. Get down. <laughs> He's like me tonight. And for all your amazing and generous super chats that keep the show going, and yeah, share the show with your friends. Let's try to build this show. What we're t what we talk about here, what the community is about, is 
making this world, making the country actualize that the, uh, what FDR was talking about, the new New Deal, the second Bill of Rights. It's not out of the realm of possibility. We owe it to each other, and we owe it to all of those who gave their lives for this thing. We're on the right side of history. We're on the right side of humanity. We are the real patriots, and we understand that we are in this together. My name is Tara Devlin. Thank you so much for all your support. We stick together. We win. I will see you very soon.